Hello, everyone. Thanks. Oh, it's one of the best, like, little, just one of those little joys of my life when I say good morning and everybody says it back. How are you all? Going well? Who's been enjoying the series that we have been working through? Yeah? I love it. I found it to be a very encouraging series. Um, sometimes uh, from, from, from the platform we're challenged or, or taught something, but this series has been good for my heart. <laughs> it's been uplifting and encouraging and challenging in some ways, but I've so enjoyed it. And uh, today I get to finish this off uh, with our final label and our final story. So this morning, uh, do you remember what, what we've talked about, the labels that God gives us? Does anyone remember what they are? Chosen, bang, gold star. <laughs> Child, gold star for you also, Steve. Anyone know? Uh, forgiven. I'm going to give it to Jade because I think she may have said it first and then you snuck in there, Pastor Jackie. So in the last three weeks, we've looked at uh, how God calls us a child of God, uh, that we are chosen by him and that we are forgiven by him. And this morning, we're going to be talking about how we are loved by God how we go from being unloved to loved by God. And we're going to be looking um, at the story um, of Joseph. It's one of my favorites. Anybody else love the story of Joseph? I love those big Old Testament stories that go for like five chapters and it's just like this epic life journey. I just think there's so much uh, richness and so much goodness to be learnt from those stories. However, this morning we are not going to be able to get through every little bit of it. So please forgive me if I brush over your favorite bit. Um, but there are some great things that I want to draw out of this story this morning. We're going to be looking at God's love toward Joseph and being encouraged by that, and then also a little challenge at the end. But first, I think we need to get a bit of a sense of the story um, and what's happening. So we're going to open up to our Genesis 37, and we're just going to read a bit of the Bible together. I'm going to give you a second to flip open your Bible. Ignite Tribe, you ready? I love my Bible. Bible. Try again. I love my Bible. Very good. There's not, there's not many Ignite Tribers in Morning Church. If you want to see the Youth Tribe, you've got to come along to Sunday nights. We're taking over. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I love my Bible. It's good. All right. Jacob lived in the land where his father stayed, the land of Canaan. This is an account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, the man of the, the moment this morning, a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the, son of, the sons of Bilhar and the sons of Zephath and his father's wives. And he brought to their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel. Now, when it says Israel, it also means it, it's Jacob. Israel, Jacob. Same guy, the father of Joseph. Now, Israel loved Joseph, Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made him an ornate robe... And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I don't know why, it took me a really long time in my life to understand. I mean, I know it says there in the scripture that um, Jacob loved Joseph the most because he was born to him in his old age. And I'm, I've always been like, oh, okay, but like, why? Why is Joseph, and I don't I don't know if I'm just slow. It took me years to work out why it is that he loved Joseph the most. Because Joseph was the firstborn son of his favorite wife, the wife that he'd wanted all along. So even though Joseph had 10 older brothers, can you imagine? Anyone got like more than six siblings? That is 
a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. Your mum is an incredible lady. That is a lot of babies. Jacob had 10 sons and then Joseph was born. He actually had 12 sons and maybe some daughters because we don't always hear accounts of girls in the Bible. Um, but 12 sons, but there was 10 sons born before Joseph and then Joseph was born to Jacob's favorite wife. Does that make sense? So that's why he's the favorite because he's the firstborn son of his favorite wife. That makes sense. I don't know why it took me so long in my life to work that out. So Jacob had children with... Um, what we see to be four different women, two wives and two handmaidens, um, but Joseph was his favourite. So 12 women with, 12 women, four, four women, 12 children, two of those women were sisters and all of them were quite a bit younger than Jacob. It is a little bit of a concerning family dynamic. Um, there's some things to find a bit unsettling about that. Um, and actually there was favour. Uh, on top of that, the favoritism that is shown to Joseph causes the brothers to hate each other. Like the Bible says they hated him. Talk about a dysfunctional family. <laughs> that is a very complicated, blended family. However, I think even in all of that mess, there can be some encouragement found. Families are messy. I don't know um, if any of us has a perfect um, ideal family. You might have a great family, but I think this morning um, I just felt in my heart I wanted to share with somebody um, that if you relate to that kind of dysfunctional family, maybe not quite that dysfunctional, but if your family is dysfunctional or a bit messy, that's okay. God still loves you and he can use you. His love is still toward you. He wants what is best for you. And if you are willing, he can use you to love others and have others come to love him. So, uh, I don't know, if that encourages someone this morning and that's all you get, that's okay. It doesn't matter uh, your background, you are loved by God. Okay, verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> in this very toxic family environment with uh, brothers who hate him, Joseph just had, I, I mean, he's a cool guy, but I just feel like in this moment he doesn't have a lot of sense of what's about to happen because he comes to his brothers and makes a fairly stupid decision and that is to tell them about this dream that he had. In verse 6 it says, he said to them, I had a dream. Listen to this dream I had. We were building, uh, binding sheaths of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheath rose up and stood upright while your sheaths gathered around mine and bowed down to it. I mean, it's pretty clear what that dream uh, is saying. I don't know if uh, in that environment that Joseph was raised in was um, really the right space to be sharing this dream with his brothers because in verse 8 it says, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream that he had had. They hated him even more. Man, siblings. <laughs> siblings can be, um, it's weird. Having siblings is, does everyone have, there's some only children. Is there any only children in the room? Okay, this might shock you if you're an only child, but one time 
my sister and I were watching TV. My sister Beck, she's really cool. I love her a lot. We were watching TV. And uh, I thought that the TV was a little loud because we were also having a bit of a conversation in the lounge room. And so I reached for the remote and I turned the TV down a little. And I stand by that. (laughs) If you ask my sister, however, I did not turn the TV down. It was still the same volume it had been before and I should turn it down more. But I was like, if you don't have siblings, you're not going to understand. If you have siblings, you understand the pettiness that can happen between siblings over nothing. So then we had a fight about the, the volume, whether I turned it down or not. I did. If you ask Beck, she'll tell you I didn't. And I don't mean just like bickering fight. We wrestled. And I want to tell you we were like 10 or something, but I'm pretty sure I was in my 20s. <laughs> we wrestled about whether the volume or the TV was up or down. And, so, and we love each other a lot. And here's Joseph telling his brothers, who hate him, that they're all going to bow down to him. You know that that is not going down well. You know that that's not going to go down well. And actually, he continues in verse 9, it says, he had another dream and did not learn his lesson. And he said said to his brothers, listen, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Again, it's pretty clear what that dream's about. And he told his father as well and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow on the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. It didn't go well the first time. He gave it another world. It did not go well. (laughs) And if we keep reading, we see uh, the consequence of that is this. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, so Jacob, said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to them, Go and see uh, if all is well with your brothers and the flocks and bring back word to me. And then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived, a man found him wandering about in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? A man found him, what, this is so funny to me. A man found him wandering about in the fields. Um, We all know about Joseph's coat. Uh, The coat that is given to him because he is the favorite, because he is the firstborn of Jacob's favorite wife. So he has this coat. And we often talk about how the coat was um, beautiful fabric and lovely colours. And the other thing about the coat is that it had long sleeves. Um, And in the time of this story, long sleeves meant that you weren't dressed for hard work. Because if your sleeves were long, uh, then they would get in the way. So these are hard-working farming people. They have sheep and grain and um, they're out in the fields um, day-to-day working. But Joseph has a coat with uh, long sleeves. So he's not equipped uh, for work at all. He's not equipped for work at all. And he's going to become, spoiler alert, if you don't know, the dreams come true. <laughs> and and. Joseph ends up in a position of power and authority and his brothers come and bow before him, just like his dreams and visions said. But at this point, he's a 17-year-old boy in a long-sleeve coloured coat wandering about in a field. He is not at all equipped uh, for, for uh, what lies ahead yet. 
So eventually, um, Joseph does find his brothers, and his brothers see him coming from a long way off. Um, and before he gets to them, his brothers um, start discussing what they're going to do. This is a, a, an opportunity, they see. Maybe we should kill him. Seems legit. <laughs> kill your brother. Reuben has a little sense and thinks, oh, maybe we shouldn't kill him. Uh, let, let's not kill him. And so eventually what, uh, what happens, they make a decision, doesn't quite go to plan, but what happens is um, they throw him in a pit, they take his coat, and they sell him to the slavers who are, who are coming by along the road. Anyone ever considered selling their sibling into slavery? So they sell their little brother to the slavers, and they take his coat, and they decide, we didn't kill him, but maybe we'll just tell Dad that he died. And so they cover his coat in blood, and they take his coat back to Jacob, and they say, our brother is, is dead. We found his coat. It's covered in blood. All right. I'm going to paraphrase the story. We're going to fly through it a little bit, and then we're going to come back and hit some points. But this is uh, the, the dot points of what happens next in Joseph's life. In chapter um, 39, so there's a bit of a like, that's the setup. And then there's another chapter of a different bit of a story. And then in uh, chapter 39, we go on. And we find that um, Joseph has been brought into um, a family, into a household um, of Potiphar. And Potiphar is a fairly wealthy guy. He's one of the advisors to Pharaoh. And he has a big household. And the Bible tells us that the Lord favoured Joseph um, and that everything that he did prospered. Which is, I mean, when, when we see that he's been thrown in a pit, disowned and is unloved by his family um, and brothers, has been sold into slavery and is now working as a slave in a household. It doesn't seem like he's prospering. Um, with hindsight, um, we'll look back and see that he was prospering, but it doesn't 100% seem like he's prospering in these moments, that he's favoured by God. But um, So here he is, he's working in Potiphar's house, and I guess where we first see a little glimpse of the favour of God is um, that he's raised to the top he becomes in charge of Potiphar's household, and Potiphar trusts him uh, with everything. Um, he, he takes care of everything in the household. Um, however, the Bible tells us that Joseph is handsome, and Potiphar's wife takes a liking to Joseph, and she propositions him. She, she says, come, sleep with me, and he's, no, 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 no. Um, and finally, one day, they're alone in the house together, um, and... She says, sleep with me, and he says, no, and he runs from her, and he leaves his coat behind. She then uses her coat, his coat, as evidence. What is with one? Wait, what is with this kid and leaving his clothes? Just can't keep a coat to save his life. And so uh, he leaves his coat behind, and he runs out of the house, but uh, Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to uh, sleep with her. And so Joseph is thrown into prison. So first he's been thrown into a pit, uh, come to a, a position of some authority in Potiphar's house and now he's been thrown into prison. So the next thing that happens, are we keeping up? Do you all know the story? You all know the story anyway, but we're going over it. So then the next thing that happens is that um, he, he's in prison and he again, the Lord is with Joseph, the Bible tells us, the Lord is with Joseph and he's, uh, everything he does prospers and that he is favoured by God. And so, um, he's, but he's in prison. So it's not the most glamorous place to be, but he again sort of rises to 
the top and the guards begin to trust him um, and he is able to um, be the, the one in charge of taking care of the other people in the, in the prison, in the jail. So he, um, he, he sort of helps with those duties. In prison, he, make, he meets uh, two men that, Potif- uh, that, Potiphar, that Pharaoh is angry with and he interprets dreams for them. So there's the cupbearer and the baker. The baker dies and the cupbearer gets out of uh, prison and promises to tell Pharaoh about Joseph and to get him freed from prison. Uh, In verse 23, it says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then two years later, Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer suddenly thinks, oh, I know a guy who interprets dreams, actually. Two years later. And so then he's um, called for out of the uh, prison. He comes before Pharaoh. Um, Pharaoh says, interpret my dreams. Joseph says, uh, only through God's uh, power at work am I able to do that. So God will interpret your dream, but let me tell you. And uh, basically, Pharaoh's dream means that there will be seven years of uh, prosperity in Egypt, and then there will be seven years of really hard time in Egypt. And so then Joe suggests um, a good plan. Our mate Joe, <laughs> he suggests a good plan that uh, for seven years, uh, they, what they should do is store up the extra, store up the overflow, and then in the following seven years, they'll have plenty um, and they'll be able to ration it out in the following seven years to take care of the people. And Pharaoh thinks that's a great idea, and he puts Joe in charge, because the Lord is with Joseph, and uh, he's causing him to prosper, and his favour is toward him. And so um, that happens, so Pharaoh puts Joe, who is now 30. So at 17, he's thrown in a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery, and 13 years later, at the age of 30, he's second in charge of all of Egypt. And so then the seven years of prosperity comes um, and they gather up the overflow into storehouses. And when the hard time comes, they're prepared. And Joseph's brothers come before him and they bow down before him and they beg him for food. And we see uh, the dream, prophecy, promise fulfilled. There's like three chapters then of back and forth between the brothers. And uh, then Joseph finally reveals himself. Because after 13 years, one, he was a boy when he left and now he's a man. And two, um, he's dressed like an Egyptian. So his brothers don't um, recognize him right away. But he reveals himself to his brothers. um, And there's forgiveness and healing in their family. So it seems like the story of Joseph is a story that uh, begins with him being unloved and cast out by his family. And then over a, a period of time and a process of, um, of God at work, we see that he's loved not only by his brothers, but um, all of Egypt. However, more than that, I think that what we see is that Joe's life is built on an unwavering conviction of God's love toward him. In every season... We see Joe trusting in God. We see Joseph believing uh, who God is and believing that God uh, is at work in the situations. 
It took Joe from a 17-year-old boy wandering about in a field wearing a coat with long sleeves to second in charge of all of Egypt and very capable in that role. Joseph was always loved by God. You are always loved by God. I just want to highlight, um, that's the story, but I want to highlight three things, um, three times I think we really see uh, Joseph knowing that he's loved by God and and what it looks like uh, to know that you are loved by God. So the first thing is right back at the beginning of the story, I've already said obviously that I think Joseph has a fairly dysfunctional family environment, but it did set him up with a way of thinking that I think is partially what gets him through the next 13 years. And that is this. There is not a shadow of a doubt in his mind that he is loved by his earthly father. Not one minute of his life would he have questioned that he was loved by his earthly father. And I, I really, truly feel that although I'm not endorsing favoritism of one child, I think that is partially what positions Joseph to have no doubt that he is loved by God. He's so loved by his earthly father that there is no doubt that he is loved by his heavenly father. And now I know not all of us have earthly fathers uh, who love us as extravagantly as Jacob loved Joseph. Or maybe we feel don't love us at all. But can I tell you, (laughs) encourage you, you are loved by your heavenly father extravagantly. His love is toward you. And so the first thing that I think we can be encouraged by and perhaps challenged by is to accept God's love toward us in that way. Unwaveringly, unquestioningly, the way that Joseph does, there is no doubt in his mind that he is loved by God. And I think we need to come to a place of having no doubt in our mind that we are loved by God. You are loved by God. The world labels you and the enemy labels you and we label ourselves, but God has a better label. That's been the tag of our, uh, our series that we've been doing. You are loved by God. His love is toward you always, no matter what. Praise Jesus for that. There is no doubt in Joe's mind and I think the encouragement that we can take and perhaps the challenge is that we need to come to a place of knowing without a shadow of a doubt that we are loved by God. And not just, we talk about the love of God a lot. We talk about the love of God because uh, we think that we understand uh, love. There's some um, concepts in the Bible that uh, take a little more study and we think we really need to get into that to understand it. But we think we have a handle on love. Can I tell you, we do not have a handle on love. And if you think you understand the love of God towards you, can I challenge you? There is more. There is more of his love to be known. There is more of his love for you to, to, to live in and be defined by. And so when I say know that you are loved, I don't mean like know intellectually that you are loved. I mean know deep in your soul that you are loved by God always, no matter what. Okay. I want to read to you a little bit of scripture. Um, from one of those sections that we sort of brushed over. I'm going to read to you from um, uh, Joseph's time at Potiphar's house. Yeah, uh, It says this, uh, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Didn't I tell you? The Bible tells us he's good-looking. Well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph, and she said, Come to bed with me. And he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. 
No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the other household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called to the household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. And he came in here to sleep with me. But I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. She tells everyone. That's the story. And then in verse 16, she tells her husband, she kept the cloak with her until her master came home. And when she told him this, and then told him this story, the Hebrew slave that you brought, that you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and he ran out of the house. I think if there had been a little bit of doubt in Joe's mind about God's love toward him, he may have taken this opportunity. I think if he had not uh, had such a strong conviction and understanding of God's love toward him that perhaps he would have taken this opportunity. However, Joseph was loved and he knew that he was loved. So when he was presented with an opportunity to receive love from a worldly, sinful place, he didn't. When he had, was given the opportunity to receive love from Potiphar's wife, he ran from it. So the second encouragement this morning would be this. Know that you are loved even in temptation. When our identity is so planted in God and we find ourselves described and defined by his love, then we are able to be uh, strong uh, in the face of temptation. Joe's example um, Uh, that he was able to run from a physical, sexual encounter with Potiphar's wife. He favoured eternal love over short-term gratification. He favoured eternal love over short-term gratification. So, notice also (laughs) that he leaves his cloak behind him. So, uh, Perhaps uh, a challenge or a temptation for you is not this idea of receiving a physical love uh, or or, or filling that space that should be filled with God's love with some kind of worldly love. But um, his cloak was a a picture of his position in Potiphar's house. And he also leaves that behind. So perhaps the way that you try to, uh, that we try to, fill this void of, of space in our, in our heart and our life is with uh, the approval of others. Perhaps um, that we try, to, we, we try to satisfy our desire for love with worldly things. But can I encourage you, in the face of temptation, choose eternal love over short-term gratification. Does that make sense? It's so easy to look around in the world and and think, that will make me feel loved. That will make me feel loved. That will make me feel loved. But if we know that we are loved 100% 
truly, truly loved by God, then, then when the opportunity presents itself for us to, uh, to, to sort of puff up ourselves and think, oh, that person loves me and I'm great at this and I'm so loved and this is my position and, and Joseph thinks, oh, Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with me. That will give me love and make me feel love. If, there is, if, you, if your heart is so full and your, yourself and your identity is so planted in who God says you are and who says that you are loved, you won't need to, to receive love from those sometimes sinful, worldly things. Does that make sense? So the second thing uh, is, let me encourage you. In whatever way that you are tempted to satisfy your desire for love, let God love you. Favor eternal love over short-term worldly gratification. Joseph knew that he was loved. And he knew that he was loved even in the face of temptation. And uh, the, the, third, the third thing is this. Know that you are loved even in the trial. Joseph went from a pit to slavery to prison. And and the Bible does tell us that he prospered and he was favoured, but for 13 years, things didn't look up, really. The Lord was with Joe and he was causing his life to prosper, but it wasn't easy. I think in hindsight, it's very easy to see. However, in the trial, it can be hard to believe that God is still right there loving us. Loving us on purpose. Loving us so much that he is working all things together for our good and for his glory. Because actually, when you look uh, at at the story of Joseph, you see that uh, he was a 17-year-old boy wandering about in a field in a long-sleeved, colourful coat. And then he was put in charge of Potiphar's house and he learned some things. And then he was put in charge of taking care of the other prisoners and he learned some things. And then finally, at 30 years old, when it came time for for God to bring the promise, the dream, the prophecy to fulfillment, he was prepared. So can I encourage you this morning, if you're in the trial or you feel like, God, where are you in this? You promised me something and it doesn't seem like it's going to be achievable. Let me encourage you this way. Have faith. Know that you are loved in the trial and that God is working all things together for your good and for his glory. Because if Joseph had had fallen into, well, God mustn't be with me. He mustn't love me. He mustn't have a plan. Who knows what that dream was about? Then perhaps he wouldn't have um, been able to learn and be changed and be shaped and grown by God to be the man that he needed to be to step into the role that God had always designed him for. So when it comes to uh, our life and when we are in trial or God seems absent from our life, I encourage you this way. Perhaps you are being equipped for what is next. Don't doubt that God loves you in the trial. He loves you so much that he's going to get you ready for what is coming. For his glory and for our good, know that you are loved in the trial. His favor is toward you. He will cause you to prosper. He is working always. Know that you are loved. Know that you are loved in temptation and know that you are loved in the trial. How though? How do we know that we are loved? How do we really know that we are loved? For me, it becomes complex and simple in this. I just need to let God love me. 
I just have to let God love me. And to let him love me, I need to know him personally. I need to spend time in his presence and experience his love. Because it's one thing to have an intellectual understanding of the love of God, and I think we all can speak about the love of God, but to really know it, to really know the love of God is something completely different. And so can I perhaps challenge you this morning that if you don't feel you really know the love of God, get into his presence. Come before him and ask him to show you how loved you are. And when temptation comes, ask him to show you how loved you are. And in the midst of the trial, ask him to show you how loved you are. In faith, I think sometimes it's good to to question and dismantle and and, and think about and and do I believe this and do I believe that? And maybe mm, this is something never to doubt. God loves you. the band wants to jump up they can I'm just going to finish with this perhaps challenge it says this uh, in chapter 41 verse 30 30 50 56 when the famine had spread over the whole country Joseph opened up the storehouses and he sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Joseph was now in a position where he was seeing people's lives saved. The people would have starved. The people would have starved. And I don't know, but perhaps if at one point Joseph had doubted God's love, things may have gone differently having questions, seeking truth is good. But please don't ever doubt this. God loves you. He loves you in your, when you are feeling tempted. He loves you through the trial. But his love is not just for you. If you live labelled by God's love, or if you you live labelled a child of God, chosen by Him, forgiven and loved, then others will see. Joseph saw people physically saved from starvation, but perhaps we will see people saved into eternity. Because I believe, like, we are saved. We are loved by God, and, and we have eternity with Him to look forward to. And so now, accepting these labels of God's love and forgiveness over my life doesn't just affect me, it affects those around me. I was listening on um, uh, Instagram this week. (laughs) Christine Kane said something that I cannot get out of my mind, that um, the enemy wants us to doubt who God calls us to be and doubt who God calls us, not because he thinks he has any chance of keeping us out of heaven, but because he thinks he has a chance of keeping those behind us out of heaven. Can I challenge you that if you allow God to label your life with love and forgiveness as as a child of God chosen by him, that there's people that are heaven is here and you are there and they are there and God is going to use your life to see them come into a relationship with him. God is going to see his love for you 
impact their lives. Joseph saw people physically saved, but we can see people saved into eternity if we would only believe that God is good and He is at work and He loves us. Don't doubt God's love for you for your sake, but also don't doubt God's love for you for the sake of those who are coming after you. I don't know about you, but I want the people in my world to know that they are a child of God. That they are chosen by Him. That they are forgiven. That they are loved by Him. Let God's label transform our lives in such a way that God uses our lives to see others saved. Be encouraged. Know that you are loved. Know that you are loved in temptation and trial, but also know that God's love is not just for you. Why don't you uh, stand with me this morning? We're going to pray, and we're going to praise God for His great love. God, I thank you. I thank you that your love is toward us. I thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for us, but not only us, for those who do not, do not love you yet. God, we just, we lift up those in our world who, who, who perhaps come behind us on this journey. And we ask that you reveal your love to them also. God, help us to live a life that points to you. Help us to be identified so wholly in you that we can stand boldly in who you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, would you give us opportunity to speak into the lives of those around us? God, that we would see people saved into eternity. Jesus, we thank you that you are willing to sacrifice your life for ours. Let your love not just surround us, but let it change and challenge us. And God, we give you glory and honor. You are so, so good to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing. Thank you.